Hey everyone, I love that like when I sit down and we start worship, um, I turn around like I get up and I'm like, oh, everyone's here now. It's great to see you all. Cool. All right. Um, I, I look, just while I get ready, I'm just going to organize myself here. Uh, uh, who else is keen for a sleeping small group? I reckon we could just do that. <laughs> just each week we get together and have a sleep. That sounds like an amazing small group. Cool, all right. I didn't knock over any guitars this week, so we're doing well. Cool, awesome. Hey, really big welcome to you. If it's your first time here this morning, my name is Michael, and uh, Ellie and I, my beautiful wife, we're the pastors here, and uh, and we've got five keeps, kids, five kids. <laughs> Last week I, I said we're really tired all the time, so a sleeping small group would be great, hey? Someone want to look after our kids while we go to the sleeping small group? Is anyone... <laughs> down for that? No? Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, before we get into it, um, and you know, if it's your first time here or you, you've been coming uh, just for the last few weeks, um, so we, we have worship after the word. We see worship as a response to the gospel. So when we hear the word, when we hear uh, about God, then we respond with communion and worship. So, so if you're wondering, why did they just finish worship so early? That's why. Anyway, uh, just one uh, quick notice uh, before I get into it. Um, as most of you will know, we've got some pretty important referendums coming up uh, in, in our country. And uh, for some of you, you may have some questions about uh, you know, how should we vote in that and, and some deeper questions around all those things. Um, Steve and Marianne have offered to do a night uh, to answer some, some of those questions or help create a dialogue around those questions. I've got a, a video from Family First that they're going to show. Um, so that is this coming Thursday, is that correct? Do you guys want to stand up just so everyone can see you guys real quick? This is Steve and Marianne. Um, just so you know uh, whose house you're going to, if you're going. So they're at 3 Pokaka Street. That's right, eh? And uh, 3A, 3A. Don't go to 3. Uh, they won't know what you're on about. 3A, so down a long driveway, and they're going to host you for the evening, and that's this coming Thursday night, 7.30. And so that's really great. I'm really grateful that you guys are doing that just um, uh, for anyone that has some questions. Maybe you're uncertain about um, how, how you're going to vote on those. So um, pretty important referendums coming up. Great, all right. So first things first, this morning we're talking about what is the Bible. Uh, we just finished a series where we were talking about disrupting the system and practicing the ways of Jesus that help disrupt the systems of the world that are, that are seeking to distract us, disorientate us, and ultimately disconnect us from the true source of life, and that is Jesus. He is the source of life. And so we were journeying through that. One of the spiritual disciplines that we didn't talk about uh, was the Bible, you know, reading the Bible, Scripture, um, and so um, because we wanted to do maybe a little bit more emphasis on that. So uh, this will be either two or three weeks. I'm uncertain yet, but at this stage, definitely two week. So this week we're going to look at what is the Bible. Next week we're going to look at how do we actually read the Bible responsibly? How do we read it in a way that it actually brings life uh, into us? So we'll do that next week. Um, so first of all, questions. If you've got questions, uh, feel free to text them through to the number and we'll have, some, have a time for questions a bit later. I'm sure there are lots of questions about the Bible. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. So um, yeah, the Bible is, it is the most sold book in the world. It's also the most stolen book in the world. Uh, it's also the most given away book in the world. 
Um, it's a pretty incredible book. It's also the most banned book. It's banned in about 50 different countries around the world where if you had this book, uh, you, could, you could have your life ended or be put in prison or something like that. So like this, this book, there's something pretty special about the Bible, and so we're going to explore that this morning. Um, I, I've asked a few people o- over different times, you know, what's a word that you would use to describe the Bible? Um, and uh, I get lots of different responses, things like it's confusing or it's truth or it's hard to read. Some people say oh, it feels like a bunch of rules. Um, some people say it's encouraging, reliable, it reveals Jesus, it's illuminating, uh, it's a storybook or it's authoritative. Like all of these words that we use to describe it. Um, I, I saw someone the other day describe it as an onion because it's got lots of layers. I think that's a helpful way to think about it. Um, but there's all of these words that we use to describe it, um, and, and so today we're going to have a, look, a little look at well, what is it. Um, years ago when I was, uh, a, I think I must have been about 15 or 16, I was in church like this and, and a guy called me out and prophesied over me. Uh, one of the things he said to me is this, he said, the Bible feels like dry bones to you, but one day it will come alive. Um, and, and it was so true. Uh, because I had, I had grown up in church, I like at the age of six or seven, I could I could recite whole chapters of the Bible, um, and but it had become very dry for me. It was just it was just what I had to do rather than actually seeing um, the Scripture as something that brings life to me. And so I went through this period of of you know where the Bible was dry, but it has come alive. And uh, my hope for you today is that if it is dry for you that today you will see it as the bread of life, that you can eat it, yeah? I mean, we've got to think of it like this, like the Bible is the menu and Jesus is the meal. You know what I mean? Like we get to eat Jesus. It's kind of weird, isn't it? But he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Um, Shane Willard says that as we open the scriptures, Jesus should become bigger, the cross should work better, and the resurrection should make us more alive. And so that's the invitation that we have every time we open the word, every time we open the scriptures. And so my prayer is that we would be a church that not only see it like that, but experience it like that and engage with it like that. So I think a really good place for us to start this morning is what does the Bible say about itself? What does the Bible say about itself? So 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, it says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In Romans 15 verse 14, it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. In Hebrews 4 verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Come on, when we read the Bible, we actually need to realize that the Bible is reading us. Yeah, it's actually reading us, and it's, and it's getting right into the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Peter 1 verse 21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the work of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Come on, so this is something that is at work in us. It's not just a static book 
It's not just words on a piece of paper. It's actually something that is at work in us. Come on, the spirit of the word is at work in us. John 5 verse 39, this is an interesting one. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it, but it is that they that bear witness about me. In, one John, in John 1 verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, so we've got the Word of God in print, which should ultimately lead us to the Word of God in person. His name is Jesus. So in a sense, Jesus is the author, He is the subject, and He is also the purpose of the Bible. So I, I want to this morning give you a little bit of information, um, uh, but I hope that it's not just information, but I, I want to talk about what is the Bible, and we need to talk about some historical stuff. So, so it's not just one book. It's actually 66 books compiled together into one unified message, and that message is about Jesus. So the Bible was written over a period of roughly 2,000 years by about 40 different authors from three different continents, and it's written in three different languages, but has this incredible unity of the message and an intricate way that the message is actually woven all throughout the Scripture. It's actually really, really incredible. We're going to look at some things soon uh, about that. So the Bible is multiple books written by multiple authors with multiple genres. It's filled with historic fact. It's filled with metaphor. It's filled with narrative. It's filled with prophecy. It's filled with poetic literature. It's filled with themes and plots. It's filled with apocalyptic language and filled with truth, all with the ultimate goal of pointing us to Jesus, who is the ultimate truth, the ultimate way, and the ultimate life. So one of the first things I want to say this morning is please don't hear what I'm not saying. So I often refer to the Bible as the story of the Bible. What I'm not saying is that the Bible is fiction. Sometimes people go, oh, you just think it's a story. No, no, I'm talking about the narrative of Scripture, that it is one complete and unified story that points to Jesus. I'm not saying it's fiction. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, but because the Bible is actually not supposed to be compartmentalized. It's not supposed to be broken up into little chunks that we you know, have sort of a devotional smorgasbord um, and, and we just sort of pick and choose which bits we want. It actually all fits in this big narrative of the story of God and the story of humanity. And, and so 50% of the Bible is, is narrative. So 50% of the Bible, or, or just under 50%, is narrative. It's, it's, it's story. And it's beautifully, beautifully woven through um, and connected with poetry and wisdom, literature and prophecy all the way through it. So, that, so the Jewish people, um, they, they, for, the, uh, for the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, they don't actually have it in the form that we have it. Um, for us, it's broken up into books and verses and chapters and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, but for them, the poetry was actually woven through the story. So there would be blocks of psalms and blocks of wisdom literature that would be actually connecting to, to the story as it went through. Um, we kind of have separated them out. I'm actually at the moment reading um, a, a Bible with, with it connected in that way, the way that the Jewish people would read it, and it's really, um, really quite insightful. So um, what I want to do first is watch a, a short video, and then we'll dive into it. Cool, right. Good little video, eh? Really helpful. I probably don't need to say much more. But I will. <laughs> 
So uh, next week we'll look at the next video of, of that as well, just to sort of tie that up. But uh, if you're interested uh, in looking at those videos, they're from the Bible Project, and they have a whole series on how to read the Bible, and it's quite quite incredible. All right, so I want to um, take a look at this uh, just this image here that I've got on the screen, um, and, and this is uh, an image called the the Drawing Hands by by M C Escher. Um, and I, I think uh, I've seen someone use this as an example of, of the relationship between the divine and human relationship of how the Bible um, has, has come about and how we have, have the Bible. You know, it's almost like what came first, the chicken or the egg. Um, and, and so th- this sort of ex- gives us an ex- a, a picture um, of how, how God has chosen to reveal himself in the world. So when you think about how did God choose to reveal himself in the world in person, in the person of Jesus, he he was fully God, yet fully man. And and that's obviously a a mystery that that many people have wrestled with uh, over over the last 2,000 years. Um, But this is also the way that God has chosen to reveal himself in the Bible. It's this divine and human relationship. And and so... um, so, so Jesus in the flesh revealed, God's, God, revealed God and perfect humanity. And Je- so Jesus showed us, like, what, he showed us what his Father is like. So Jesus came to reveal the Father. But he also showed us what it means to be truly human. So he, he, was, he was humanity perfected and God perfected and revealing both to us at the same time. And, and so the Bible is the same. The Bible is, is showing us God but it's also showing us broken humanity and revealing broken humanity to us through, through the word. And so the, the, the Bible is the divine and human relationship of God. It's the partnership between supernaturally inspired human authors who in the Old Testament are recorded in Israel's story and how God is relating to his creation. And in the New Testament, we've got the four gospels that are telling the story of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And then the book of Acts, which is telling the story of the early church. And then we've got all of the letters to the church, mostly by Paul. And then we've got some other writings as well, like James and Hebrews. Uh, and and um, the revelation, um, and so so we've got all of this together to make up these sixty six books that we have in our Bible today. So the Bible, I think, one way of describing it is like this: the Bible is the divine and human word that tells the truth. And so we might ask, well, what is the truth that the Bible is telling? It's actually multi layered and multifaceted. I mean, it's like a diamond. You know, if you hold the Bible up, to, you know, to the light, if you hold the Bible up to the light, who is Jesus? It, it shines through it in many, many different ways and reveals all sorts of parts of who God is, who we are, and, and what God is up to on, in the earth. And so it's very, very multifaceted and multi-layered. We're going to look at that a bit more next week. And so as we read the narrative, there are actually two elements that we're looking at. Um, there is the event and then there is the why behind the event. So there's the event, and then the why behind the event. Um, la- last week, I, um, after church here, my kids wanted to go out for lunch, um, and my mum my was here, so I said very strategically, um, go and ask mum if she can take us out for lunch. <laughs> Anyway, so, we, so, so, so here's what happened. I went down to, we went into a restaurant, and, and some of you know that most of our family is gluten-free, so we can't eat all the food. So, um, 
<laughs> so, so anyway, so we went to a restaurant. And I sat down. After about five minutes, I talked to the lady. We got up and left. That's what happened. Now, you might go, that's a cool story, but why? Well, the why is we sat down, looked at the menu, looked at all the gluten-free items, and we said we'd like to order these and that, and then you know, we mentioned that we're gluten-free, and she was like, oh, sorry, all the things that say they're gluten-free are not actually. And so I'm like, okay, we're probably going to have to go find somewhere else to go, because I know that if Israel has some gluten, he's going to be throwing up when we get home. And you know, like all of, they, there's all of the stuff that will go on for us if we do that. Now, that's the why behind the events, you know. But if you just looked at us, you know, we walked in, sat down, had a conversation, got up and left. There's a whole lot of questions there about why, why did they just leave? Were they angry? Were they grumpy? You know, what, what's going on there? And, and so this is the way that the Bible is presented to us. There are these events that have happened, um, but there, the Bible actually wants to give us the why. Or why are these events taking place? Why are these particular stories in Israel's history important? And how are they linking to all of the other stories? And how does that connect to Jesus? This is what the Bible is, is doing for us. So there is a deeper meaning behind uh, the events. So the events are gateways into a deeper meaning and, and, and a deeper truth about the human, condi human condition, about how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's precious gift and solution to the human condition. And... Um, and so it actually matters where Jesus came from. Like Israel's story is really, really important. It's really important for the context of why are we here now? Why are we the church? And why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Like why, 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 why? I mean, I'm a person with so many questions. And so like when I read the Bible, I don't ever read it as like the, the, the answer book. I actually read it as the book with the best questions. Like it's actually asking really good questions that we need to wrestle with and, 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 and you know, dive deeper into so that we can actually, not so that we can get answers, but so that actually we can be revealed. Our human condition can be revealed and can see Jesus as the solution. Like I just think the Bible is brilliant. Um, so... Yeah, all right, so, so there's this tension here. I read a verse before where Jesus, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think there is life, but actually they testify about me. All right, so there's this real wrestle there in a dichotomy that, uh, that the Bible itself um, is actually just an inanimate object, yeah? Like it, it is just, it, the physical Bible is a book with, with pages, with letters, and, and, and it's been put together for us. You can go to any bookstore and buy it, steal it if you want. No, don't steal it. But, um, so the Bible in and of itself is not supernatural, it's, but it's who it's pointing to that is supernatural. So we must never worship the object, but the object of our worship is the one who the Bible reveals. See, there's an example of this in, uh, in the scripture, um, in, in uh, Numbers, I uh, can't remember what chapter, uh, but in, in Numbers, so there's this story where the, the Israelites have been uh, eaten, uh, uh, stung, not stung, bitten by snakes, right, uh, and they've, they've been poisoned, and uh, God tells Moses, put up a, a bronze serpent up on a pole, and if anyone looks at it, they'll be healed, 
Right, so, so there's this, it's a great story and it's a picture of Jesus. Jesus even references back to this and says, you know, just like the serpent was raised, I must be raised as well. So, so there's this picture there, right? So, but years later, if you read in 2 Kings 18, there's a, there's a king called, um, what's his name? Is it Hezekiah, I think? Uh, king Hezekiah, and so, so there's, in, the, in the story of, of the kings, there's many kings who, who have risen up, and a lot of them are actually really bad kings, and, and they're starting to worship idols, they're starting to worship other gods, and they're setting up statues, and they're setting up temples to worship other gods, and then this young king, Hezekiah, uh, becomes king, and he says, we're going to put an end to that, and we're going to return back to God, and we're going to worship him as the one and only true God, and so he starts to pull down the temples, he starts to pull down the high places, and the places of worship and the idols that have been set up. Interestingly, one of the, like I was reading this a few years ago, and then I'm like, oh my goodness, the serpent, the bronze serpent is one of the things that has now been worshipped as an idol. And, and so what does that tell us? That, the, that the, the thing that once was a place of healing has now been risen up in place of the God of the healing, and it's now been worshipped instead of God. And so I think it's really important that we continually remind ourselves that the Bible is pointing to Jesus. He is the object of our worship. He is the author, he is the subject, and he is the purpose. This is why, this is why we read the Bible. So unfortunately, throughout history, we see examples of the Bible being used and abused. Uh, it's, it can be, it's been used to further religious and political ideologies. It's been used to control and manipulate people. It's been used to oppress people and enslave people. Um, it's even been used as a weapon against brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so the, the point is this, is that if the, if the Bible is not used for its original purpose, it can actually be misused and abused. And it beca- can become a weapon. And, and we don't want that. We don't want that. All right, we're, we're running out of time. So I'm just going to um, skip along. I'm sure we've got some, some questions. Have we got some questions coming through? Um, all right, let's just, I'll, I'll, I won't go into how um, the dates that the Bible was um, put together. Um, just probably the one thing I would say is that around um, 140 AD, so after Jesus, um, there was a guy called Marcion who uh, he decided that the Old Testament wasn't, relevant. He didn't like the God of the Old Testament, so he wanted to get rid of it. Um, And he put together a Bible that was just, um, it just had a few of Paul's writings, only one of the Gospels, and he sort of changed it a a lot. Um, So the early church decided because of that, that actually they needed to put the Bible together, what they call canonize, actually bring it together and say, this is the official um, Bible. This is what we believe is God-inspired. This is, this is the, these are the books that we believe God wants us to have, and this is, you know, this is the scripture that we have now. Um, and so I guess in, in some sense, I heard someone say that Marcion is his favorite heretic because we've got the Bible because of him. So um, anyway, so that's sort of how, how it came about at, at that point. So let's look at a couple images here. So this is, um, this is all of the cross-references or the textual cross-references within the Bible. Right, there are, there are nearly 64,000 cross-references. Um, along the bottom here is all the different books of the Bible. That's Psalm 119, the really long one. Um, and so well, these are all of the cross-references between the Bible. This is how interwoven and interlinked 
um, the scriptures are, all pointing to Jesus. Isn't it incredible? Here's another one um, with, um, with cross-references. There's 340,000 cross-references um, here. Um, and if you notice at the end here, this is, there's a, a big group of them at the end where, where the Revelation is because the Revelation actually has a huge amount of quotes from the Old Testament, um, a massive amount of quotes from the Old Testament. And so uh, the Revelation is really um, not only pointing to our future, but it's also summarizing the whole story of the Bible in a beautiful way. Um, and so it's, um, it's really, really cool. Um, so what the, I think the important thing that we need to understand is that the New Testament does not replace the Old Testament. It is just the continuation of the story. It's the continuation of the story, and, it, and it's the continuation of the story now. And, and so the important thing about understanding all of that is, is placing ourselves in the story, that we are actually part of the story, this, the, that God's story is still happening right now. His story is continuing, continuing and we are actually part of it. All right, I'll just um, do this bit and then we've got questions coming through. Cool, all right. Um, so N.T. Wright, he said this, we read scripture in order to be refreshed in our memory and understanding of the story within which we ourselves are actors, to be reminded where it has come from and where it is going to, and hence what our own part within it ought to be. I, I love to think of, uh, when I think about what is the Bible, um, I think of it like a museum exhibit, like the Gallipoli exhibit at Te Papa. Has anyone ever been to, to the Gallipoli exhibit at Te Papa? I mean, it, that's incredible, isn't it? Incredible um, exhibit. And, and you walk through it and there's, there's video, there's art, there's historic facts, there's stories, there's letters, um, a whole lot of different mediums at, with the one, one purpose of not only telling us a story, but to actually draw us into the story. Um, the first time I went there, I went with Israel, and like, he just wanted to go through it real quick because he, he didn't understand the story that was, was being told. And so we went through it really quick, and I was like, well, that was hopeless. Like, I wanted to go back by myself so that I could actually immerse myself in the story and, and experience the story that it's trying to tell. Um, like, literally, you could spend all day in there. I mean, you could go through, through there probably five different times, and each time you would see different little parts and you go, oh, I didn't see that last time. And I see how that's connecting to that and that how this is telling one whole story. And there's lots of different mediums and, and, and it's all telling one story. But that, that's, that's what the Bible is like. It, it wants to draw us into the story so that we can actually experience the story. And, and every time we read through it, we see different little bits that are connecting and, and all of these things that are, that are pointing to Jesus. And it's really, really incredible. Um, the only difference between the Tapapa exhibit and the Bible was that the Tapapa exhibit, that story did finish. But the story of the Bible continues today, and you're actually in the story. You are part of the story. You get to be a part of the end of the story, too. Like, this is, man, it's the best thing, isn't it? I mean, the Bible is alive because the story hasn't finished. All right, let's, let's hit some questions. All right, are you ready? Yes. 
so the, oh, they're still coming through thick and fast. Uh, so the first question, what does dichotomy mean? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't have the, the dictionary. Uh, I do, though. But it's like two, two, two opposites that need to be wrestled with. Tension, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the dictionary, I did look it up, uh, says a division or contrast between two things that are or are represented as being opposed or entirely different. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I know how to use it in a sentence. I just <laughs> don't know the dictionary definition. Um, is the Bible a book meant to be read spiritually or historically? Um, both. Yeah, so um, we'll get into this next week when we talk about the way that Jewish people read it in four, four levels. And so the first, the first layer is, um, is literal. Um, and then it, but actually, it's meant to be going down deeper and deeper and deeper, different layers. Um, so yes, yes. So I would say, some people say, well, is the Bible literal or metaf a metaphor? It's both. Every literal story has a deeper metaphor. And that's the thing that we get to be a part of. We get to wrestle with and dive deeper and explore. Yeah. Like an onion. Uh, yeah. What does it mean that the authors of the Sometimes Bible... Sometimes it makes you cry like an onion too. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> uh, what does it mean that the authors of the Bible were divinely inspired? How much of the content is human thought versus God's words? Yeah, right. Okay, that's a good question. Um, so one thing that we probably... Like the Bible didn't just fall from heaven one day and you know, we've got it. Um, the, and so I, I think there is, there's a difference between saying this is God, it, God didn't take over their hand and, and write it, um, but they, they were inspired. For me, I just go, I trust that, that this word that I've got, the Bible, um, is inspired by God, that, that all of the books that we have and all of the writings that we have are the ones that God wanted us to have, and I trust that. Um, but there are definitely some human elements that you see through the Bible. I think Paul was, like, if you read the writings of Paul, it depends what mood he's in, it seems, um, to, to how he's addressing a church. Um, there's one part in, um, in Corinthians, I think it is, where he's talking about baptism, and, he, and he's... Um, he, there's like arguments about who follows who in the church and he's addressing that and he's going like, you know, this person baptized this person this, and then you think that you follow them because they baptize you and he goes, I'm glad that I only baptized Gaius and I can't remember the other guy's name. And then he goes, oh, actually, oh, I actually baptized this family. Oh, actually, I don't even remember who I baptized. But the point is, you know, like, <laughs> like he's just kind of like writing it, you know, and, and so there's this really, I think, beautiful human element, which I think is what makes it authentic. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If I was going to try and make up a religion and have a book, then, then I would remove those, those parts. Do you know what I mean? Because they're the, you know, but they're the authentic bits that we see, oh, these are actually human people that are wrestling with real things. Inspired by God, but wrestling with real things, and I think it's really great. Yeah. Uh, kind of on from the same question, if you want to expand a bit more. So, how could the Bible be considered a book written flawlessly, given the number of years and people involved in it? Right, right. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's sort of the, the question of perfection. Is the Bible perfect? I, I personally think that's an unhelpful question to ask. Um, I think it's absolutely perfect in its purpose um, and what it's designed for. Um, but actually, I mean, if you look through the Gospels, there's different versions of eyewitness accounts. Um, that they, I mean, imagine if you, like, let's say there was a crime scene, there's a whole lot of witnesses, they come together to describe what happened. They've all picked up on different 
bits of the story and emphasize different bits of the story. It doesn't mean that, that one is wrong and one is right. They've just seen it from a different perspective. And we see that through, um, through the gospel accounts, different perspectives on the same event. Um, and so some people would say, well, there you go. It's, it's, it contradicts itself. It's like, no, no, it doesn't. It's just these are different perspectives. It's, this is the human element of it. And this is also what makes it more authentic. Um, but as far as like, um, you know, the, the, the Bible itself, there are, there, are, there are those sorts of things that people may say are contradictions, but um, I actually think that they, they are what make it authentic. Um, and they're, they're, if you're interested in that stuff, there's a, a guy, I forget the name, Steve, you'll know the name of the guy, Case, uh, the um, Cold Case Christianity. He looked into all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, Cold Case Christianity. If you're interested in that, it kind of comes as a detective who comes from that perspective of actually looking at the Gospels as eyewitness accounts um, and are they reliable and, yeah. Yes. That's right, yeah, Lee Strobel, uh, Ravi Zacharias, um, The Case for Christ. The Case for Christ, just look for the books. The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel, and uh, Cold Case Christianity. All right, next question. All right, uh, so this one's just a clarification. Uh, the so music team can come up, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I'm confused about how Michael talks about the serpent being worshipped as an idol. Question, is he referring to the context in biblical times, or is he referring to the serpent in today's world? The serpent in today's world? Yeah, so they just wanted to clarify the story you told about the serpent on the staff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so the, con the context there, well, for me anyway, is, is about the, um, it's, the connection there is that it was used as a, it, it had become now an idol. Rather than worshipping God, they had worshipped the thing that pointed to God. Um, and I'm not sure about serpent and our time. Yeah, yeah just. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Potentially, I'm not. I'm not 100% sure on that. I think one of the interesting questions that I I find is that we've got the serpent in the garden, and then God uses a serpent as the thing to heal them. So, and then you know. So anyway, there's a there's a question for you to wrestle with. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cool. All right. Uh, there's two more questions. Is that all right? Have we got time? Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, is the genealogy of the Bible true or false? Yeah. Well, it's. Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I believe it to be true, although I think there's a probably deeper meanings in, in them. Um, I actually read something last night, and I was going to share it today, and I was like, no, I don't know the authenticity of this. But someone had taken the meaning of each of those names, the meaning of them, and it actually tells the story of the Bible. I, with think, the that might, I think that was um, Bupkis. I think Bupkis, all yes, right, I that's why. <laughs> forget that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think they are true. But I think there is a deeper meaning to them. They're not just not just there for historical fact, but also um, there's a deeper meaning mm. to them. Yep. Um, all right. So the last question. I'm stuck. I want to read the Bible, but I'm always constantly confused because I feel like I've started at the wrong chapter and I find myself lacking a lot of context. Where do I start reading to provide context to guide the rest of my reading? Okay, um, well, I personally believe that if you're starting with the Bible, you should start with the Gospels. Start with the story of Jesus, um, because, because that makes sense for the, for the rest of the story. Um, and um, 
Yeah, I, I think as well we're meant to read it in large chunks. Um, it, and we'll talk a lot more about this next week, but often we, we read it kind of like, like that, like this, this close, whereas like if we kind of like hold it out a bit further, we get a bit more context and we hold, you know, not, I'm not meaning physically, but I mean in the context of the story. If we can see the broader story uh, at play, then we can actually pick up on what, what's going on. Um, but we'll definitely talk about that next week and how to read the Bible. All right, let's, um, let's uh, just sort of finish there. I've just got one, um, just one last thought to finish with this morning, and then the uh, music team can, um, can, can take over. Um, yeah, so, so my last thought is this, is how, how we engage with the Bible is actually really important. Um, so uh, imagine it like this. Um, I, I want to have a conversation with, let's say I want to have a converse, conversation with Chantal. I've got a number of different ways that I can communicate with her. Right now we have lots of modern technology. I could send her a text message. Um, you know, in 140 characters, I can communicate some stuff to Chantal. She may or may not get the, what I'm getting at. Um, or I could give her a phone call. We can go a little bit deeper. Um, but actually, sometimes there are conversations that we actually need to sit down and have a coffee and actually sit down and wrestle with and have a much deeper conversation. I think most of the time, and certainly this was my experience when I was younger, is that I engaged with the Bible like a text message, where I, I was just looking for, you know, my daily devotional, you know, open the Bible, God's going to speak to me today through this one verse, um, and, you know, like, who knows that we can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Some of you would have got the joke. Um, <laughs> But, but actually, there is a much deeper story that is going on, something that we actually maybe need to stop engaging with it like a text message for a while and actually go, I'm going to block out a, a larger portion of time this week to actually read a whole book or a whole series of chapters. You know, if you want to read the story of, of Genesis, don't just read the first two chapters. Read chapters one to eleven, because it's one. One, it's the, that is the the start of the story. Is chapters one through to eleven, um, and then it shifts into another part of the story. But so actually engaging with the Bible at a much deeper level. So for the Jewish people, they would actually in you know in synagogue or in, you know in church, um, they would all sit and someone would read aloud whole whole books, they, I mean, they would read it in scrolls, um, and so we, in our Western world, we don't really engage with it as it's supposed to be engaged with, and so that's where we get, we run into all sorts of trouble, where we're taking verses out of context, and um, you know, passages out of context, and, and the, that's when we actually start to use the Bible, rather than actually let it read us. And, you know, sometimes we might get into a debate and, well, this verse says that, and then this verse says that, and none of them are in context normally, and, you know, we're getting all, all carried away. Um, so I want to encourage you this week to engage with the Bible um, a little bit differently. Um, 
and then next week we'll look a little bit more about how, how to do that. But I would encourage you this week, why don't you just take some time and actually read a large chunk of the Bible. Maybe read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you get to the end of it, then start again. Read it again. Uh, maybe read Genesis 1 through to 11 and get the picture of the whole story there. Um, but it's, uh, it, you'll find that you'll see a whole lot more stuff that you've never seen before when you engage with it like that. All right, why don't we stand this morning? Mark, you can start playing some Holy Spirit chords. That'd be awesome. Great. Let's just, um, let's just assume the position. Yeah, let's, let's put our hands out this morning like this. So imagine you're holding a gift. This posture just reminds us that our job is to receive, not achieve. The Holy Spirit, He is here. The presence of God is here. And He wants to give us life, life in abundance. And I just want to pray this morning over all of us this morning that maybe for some of us we've struggled with the Bible, we've struggled with the Scriptures, we've struggled with finding Jesus in it. Maybe you've read it and you've felt condemned rather than finding life. Maybe you've felt confused. Maybe you've felt disorientated by it or just overwhelmed by it. Father, we just thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you that you came into the human existence. You, you came into the human experience. You came to reveal your Father and you came to show us what it looks like to be truly human. We thank you for that. So Holy Spirit, we just pray this week as we open the Word, the Word that testifies about Jesus, we pray, Holy Spirit, that we would see it through spiritual eyes, that we would see as we read what You are trying to communicate to us, that we would see what You are trying to tell us. We would see the bigger picture, the bigger story, that God is at work in His world, that that, that the lost have been found, that broken people have been made whole, that, that, that life has been put back into the earth, that, that the story is not over, that you are continuing the story. We thank you, Jesus, that right now on the earth, there is actually more of you on the earth right now than when you walked on the earth because you are in all of us. And we thank you that, that as we open the Word, it points to you and, it, and, and life comes into us and we are able to see not only our, our own human condition, but also the human condition of those around us. But we thank you that it does not lead us to hopelessness, but it actually leads us to hope. That when we look at the world around us and we see it through your eyes, through your Word, we can see that there is hope that there is life, that there is restoration, that there is redemption, that your kingdom is here now and it is at work in this world, that, there are, that all things have been restored back to the original identity and purpose through you. That you are at work. Father, we pray that the, the eyes of our heart would be illuminated as we open your word this week. We thank you, God, that this is, this, that this, we shouldn't just park 
the Bible and just go, oh, well, let's just hope Michael will tell us something about it on Sunday. No, no, let's see it as the bread of life, something to be eaten, something to be devoured, something to be chewed on, something to be wrestled with. We thank you, God, that as we read it, we discover that it is actually reading us. We thank you for what you're doing. Father, I pray that we would be a church that loves the Word, that loves the Bible, and that it would bring life. We thank you, God. We just pray right now for those that that have experienced the Bible as dry bones. I just declare right now, as it came alive to me, let let it be with you. We just pray, Holy Spirit, just saturate them right now. Holy Spirit, fill them right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are at work right now in this room. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, amen. Well, let's just, let's just respond now, whether you want to come and take communion or you just want to get on your hands and knees or just whatever you want to do in response. Let's just respond to the gospel this morning. Let's respond to Jesus. Holy Spirit, He is here. He's here and He's wanting to minister to us this morning.